You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey, Milwaukee Mafia listeners, we're back with another episode. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back again. Yep. You got a story for us today that he claims is short. Is that correct? It is short. Well, my notes are less than two whole pages and an average episode is closer to four. We'll see. Gavin's favorite thing, opening his drink on the Uh, podcast. Yeah, I enjoy doing that. Do you you want to give a plug to what you're drinking today? Today I'm drinking Rain Total Body Fuel, rainbow sherbet flavor. (laughs) Rainbow sherbet, that sounds terrible. It's the cheapest one. Is it terrible? No, I actually like all their flavors. Oh, it does not sound like an enjoyable flavor. I was previously on the Bang Bus, but I'm now on the Rain Train. The, oh. the, the rain beverage is freaking great. Before we launch into the episode, yeah. I did have a question for you. Okay. I was working on a little side project for our podcast, and I was making all these videos of past episodes, and I came I, across... I, I saw you were working on some TikTok. Yes. Yeah. I came across the episode of the Frank Balistrieri tax yeah. stuff, and I just wanted to make sure that this hasn't been forgotten about, because we haven't revisited yet. it yet, so... It'll come up. Okay. That's still in the timeline. I just wanted to make sure that you were like, oh, I just kind of forgot about that. So. Yeah, I when I'm working on my notes, I'm adding bits and pieces to that pretty much all the time. It's it's an ongoing thing for a good 10 years. Like <laughs> He dragged that out as long as he could. So it will come back. Oh, it'll definitely it'll come, come back. back. Okay. Yeah, yeah I don't remember you. what the original one was. The original one's like 60 to 61 or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'll bring it back for, like, 62 to 63. Okay. So, yeah, it's coming. All right, so what are we talking about today, then? Well, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about grande cheese. Again? Again. Wow. wow. Again. Um, and I think this is going to be the last time. Okay. Uh, at least in a long time. Let's just preface this episode by saying we're really sorry, grande cheese. Yeah. They're not a bad company. They just have some stuff in their history. Yeah, I'm real. I'm really sorry about it. So last time, I think it was just last time. It was we we did Leroy Summers, who was uh, a man who I'm fairly confident committed suicide, um, but his wife kept saying that he didn't, and it kind of spiraled out of control with investigations right. and politics. This part today, when the notes are online. I'm just going to tack this on to the end of that, so it'll be one thing online. But I didn't do it as part of the the episode, so I'm going to add it okay. today. Uh, this is like kind of like the follow up to that. So, did you learn something new or something, or, no. or was it just like you didn't really feel like it felt or it was going to make the episode too long? Or well, I really just wanted to focus on Leroy Summers. That was that was my whole goal was to treat that as an isolated thing and see if we could figure out what actually happened there. And I'm I'm confident. I feel pretty good about that situation. I think what the original investigating officer found is exactly what happened. happened. Yeah. So I feel pretty good about that. This episode is going to be about the bad publicity that it gave the cheese company. Okay. I call it John DeBella goes public. That's okay. what I call this one. And a bit of a bit of a prologue in here for this episode. 
about Dominic Frenzy, who Dominic Frenzy is going to come up a lot on this podcast forever. <laughs> I often refer to him as like the mob's uh, attorney in Milwaukee. And uh, he actually, you know, he had ties to uh, Grande going back at least to 1959 as well. In May 1959, he went to the Milwaukee airport and picked up Joe Bonanno, who is like the head of the big New York mafia family, um, and brought him to Grande Cheese to meet with the leaders of Grande Cheese there. Kind of acted not only as his attorney, I guess, for business purposes, but also as like his chauffeur around the area. So Frenzy's like the middleman between Joe Bonanno and Grande uh, <laughs> here. And then again, when he comes back the following year, 1960, again, he is uh, he's that guy. Just making a, the point here that Dominic Frenzy is like the Milwaukee mob attorney, also the Grande Cheese attorney, and he's working with Joe Bonanno when he's in Wisconsin. I don't know what to make of that exactly, but the point I, I want to get out of this is that Grande being in Fond du Lac which for people who do not know is a solid hour outside of Milwaukee, mm -hmm. they could get a closer attorney. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they don't need to get the the mob attorney out of Milwaukee. You did. I believe in the original Grande Cheese episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, didn't you say that the the CEO, or the, was it John DeBella? Yeah, John okay. DeBella. John DeBella has ties to... The New York Mafia. Right? He totally does. Yeah, yes. With the, that is not to begin uh, contra. Like that's not a question. He definitely has time. Is not a question. Is not a question at all. I mean, he's he's got relatives. He was arrested with various people in his youth uh, in Brooklyn. Yeah, no, there's no question of any of that. So jo I, Joe Bonanno would always say that um, it was his wife's family that was close to the cheese company. But his wife never like showed up yep. to the meetings or, or got tours of the cheese plant. You know, maybe on paper it was his wife, but she clearly did not have an interest, <laughs> like a, like a personal interest, interest in it. Right. Up to our present timeline here, January 1963. If you listen to Leroy Summers episode, and you should because this will make more sense if you mm -hmm. did, the governor speaks out about organized crime in various places, including Fond du Lac. He was kind of vague about it, but it was pretty clear that he was referring to the Grande Cheese Company. Grande's president, John DeBella, after briefly leaving on vacation so as not to get too much media coverage, was encouraged to go on the record to local law enforcement about what he knew, just to kind of clear the air about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. A few weeks later, he walks into the Fond du Lac Safety Building, which is basically the police department, and offered to open his books to clear the fog around Grande. He said, here's, here's my accounting. There's nothing shady in here. These are the people that I buy and sell from. Look at it. It's fine. <laughs> then he agreed to return a week or two later to answer any questions. So on February 13th, John DeBella and Al Caruso, another officer of Grande, meet up with Dominic Frenzy, and they return to... Fond du Lac Safety Building, where they're met by the Fond du Lac County Sheriff, the Fond du Lac County District Attorney, and the police chief. All the top law enforcement guys are there, ready to talk to him and get this all out in the open. Okay. DeBella tells them that he's fed up, 
concerning the governor's recent comments that organized crime was in Fond du Lac. He says clearly that his reference is to Grande Cheese. DeBella denied knowing any organized criminals, which is not true, true but, at all. <laughs> but, but he denied that. Um, and when he was shown photos of Steve DeSelvo and Joe Guerrera, two guys out of Milwaukee, he consulted with Frenzy for a moment and then denied knowing them too. I don't know if he knew them or not. Mm-hmm. During this meeting, DeBella and Frenzy would often have side conversations in Italian. Unbeknownst to them, District Attorney Tom Massey secretly recorded their conversations and then later had them translated. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, a lot of the comments are not really all that interesting of what they're talking to each other about. I, I'll kind of I'll go through some of what's going on here. At one point, DeBella tells Frenzy, In 1943, the company was in Chicago. The office was there when we took it over. I do not know who controlled it before 1943. Frenzy asked DeBella why he moved the business from Chicago. DeBella responded, What are you going to do in Chicago? (laughs) Frenzy then tells the others, in English, that DeBella said that it made more sense for the company to be closer to the suppliers. Which is not exactly what he said, but that maybe that's what he meant. Frenzy asks about who DeBella bought the stock from when he took over the company. DeBella says, I'm not going to tell you that. I want to know why I came here. Why do they want all this information when they have not yet told me the why and wherefore of all this? They've taken down this information on other occasions. Those in the office already have it. Let us keep everything in its place. Frenzy says, He thought you came here to tell him that everyone in your family and in your company is clean. He thought this is what you came here to tell him. Apparently, he, in this case, is like the district attorney. Mm-hmm. DeBella responds, I thought he was going to give me an answer as to why all these things have been happening to me. I do not want to have anything to do with them anymore. Mm-hmm. Tell them I had an office in New York and one in San Francisco. You had better stop them there. I am not talking anymore. Frenzy then relates that they want to know what other businesses DeBella has an interest in. He replies, Tell them to do me the favor to not ask me anymore. <laughs> Tell them not to ask me all these kinds of questions because I'm not going to speak anymore. He has had his answer. Now what I want to know is why we are here. I did not come here to be interrogated because if I came here to be interrogated, I will keep my mouth closed and tell them absolutely nothing. I do not speak anymore. <laughs> so he's saying, just so I'm clear understanding this, what you are what you just read, he was saying that in Italian. He's saying this in Italian to, to Frenzy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Frenzy tells DeBella that the men are interested in DeBella's books, specifically with regard to the cheese distributors he works with. DeBella says he doesn't know how to read the books. And when they are ready, let us call the accountant. My father was never involved in any legal proceedings in his life. I buy from any individual. All I want to know is what chances there are to make money. I buy from anybody who sells. The company will die with me. Which is not true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Frenzy says... He wants to know if you know that, and this was redacted in the record, if you want to know that Blank had a lot of money. He wants to know what you know about the three people who were killed in Chicago. DeBella says, I do not know how much money I have in my pocket right now. I'm selling cheese. This is somebody else's business, not my business. If they want to talk about cheese, I'm ready to talk about it night and day. 
The less I know, the better off I am. <laughs> Frenzy explains they want to know if these people were killed because of the cheese business or for other reasons. Debella says, the problem opens up many sorb apples. No idea what that <laughs> phrase means. I was just going to say, what? <laughs> what, can I, what can I know now about the poor devils that were killed? I don't know if it was beer or what, and they did not come and tell me about it. When asked about his family, Debella said, I grew up in the cheese business. He said he also has one brother and one sister in the United States. So this is what they were able to pick up off of the the conversations between the two of them that were in Italian. Basically, what you get out of this is I think that Debella had a misunderstanding of why he want, he was supposed to go to the station. I think he kind of thought, you know, he was going to kind of be like, everything is fine. And they were going to be like, okay, we're sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, they kind of thought like, okay, this is our chance to really talk to oh, him totally. about it. And he's he's not interested in that. <laughs> he's just yeah. like, he wants this to be over with. He wants to walk away and be yeah. done. Yeah. And to be completely fair, he's in the right. There's There's no reason he should have to answer any of these questions. Like, he's not arrested or a suspect of anything. And he freely, was it him that freely yeah. turned his books over and said, hey, look at these books. You can see this is legit. Stop. Yeah. Let people know that we're not doing anything shady here. We're just making and selling cheese. <laughs> yeah, so so I think there was some miscommunication somewhere in there, but uh, he, it it's funny because the way that like the reporting comes across because it's a law enforcement report, they don't say this, but I read it as them saying that he's being uncooperative. To me, like, once I, like, step away and, like, think about it, I'm like, well, he's not being uncooperative. He doesn't have to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, if, if, they, if, some, if some, like, district attorney or whoever walks into a business and starts asking, like, all kinds of business questions to the owner, like, the owner doesn't have to tell them that stuff. Right. Well, and they're asking him questions about murders down in Chicago, and he's like, why are you, at, well, like... Yeah. There's no reason I gave you my books. My books did yeah. not say something about some murder that happened in Chicago. If you if you approach this where you're like you're in the mindset like oh well, he's the bad guy like he's being evasive. I mean you could read it that way, but at the same time it's like he's just like I- I'm just running my business here. Yeah, yeah, he's like I wasn't in Chicago. I don't know those guys, <laughs> and and he had to know something because you know. I don't believe for a second he doesn't know who he took the business over from. That's pretty suspicious. suspicious. But but for the most part, it's like, yeah, probably doesn't know a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So while this uh, is going on, um, the FBI is also kind of doing a little bit of background work. They speak with various informants, and one informant says that Leroy Summers wasn't even a competitor with Grande. The, this is... This is all blown out of proportion. The family's claims that the suicide was really a murder is just complete nonsense, which we established last time. A Fond du Lac police officer was talked to, and he said a retired Milwaukee policeman who now worked for a private detective agency had done an investigation for the Summers family and found that Steve DeSelvo and Joe Guerrera had met with DeBella at the Retla Hotel in Fond du Lac, which is probably how this question came up. Mm-hmm. during the district attorney thing. 
Now, whether or not this is accurate, by the time it got to the governor's desk, the story was conflated to say that the two men had met with Summers, that uh, DeSelvo and Greer had met with Leroy Summers, which is not true. <laughs> so the way the governor heard it was that these two dangerous, malicious thugs are talking to Summers. That didn't happen. So, <laughs> so the governor thinks that, like, oh, this guy was being threatened. No. The police officer even doubted the DeBella connection at all, saying that DeBella had met with two cheesemakers from Olivia Cheese at the Retlaw Hotel, and the detective may have been exaggerating his claims. When photos were shown at the Retlaw, employees did not recognize Steve DeSelva or Joe Guerrera as anybody that they had seen in the hotel, and the hotel had no record of them staying there. Again, like, all these, like, rumors are kind of growing out of, like, mistakes or things that can't be backed up this the Selvon Guerrero didn't meet with Leroy Summers did they meet with John DeBella maybe but nobody saw it I happen and there's no record of them staying at the hotel so their connection to any of this completely weird and wrong now as John DeBella met with various other Milwaukee mob guys yes he has on occasion but not these two guys and not any time near where Leroy Summers was killed. Mm -hmm. So just like all this stuff is like gets mixed together. It gets all goofed up. And when the governor got it, I don't know what version of the story he got, but it got way out of control. I'm just shocked that with all the, all this stuff that because all of this seems to start with John DeBella. Yeah. And I'm just surprised that Grant like. Grande Cheese just didn't get rid of them at some point in time just to get this crap out from their reputation. It's a fair question. I I guess I don't know how it works if he was like the sole owner or if there was like a board that could kick yeah, him out. Right, exactly. And he, it might have been a private company and it would have been very hard to do that, I think, if that's the case. Yeah, but because he took it over in, we'll say, 43 for sometime in the early 40s he ran it up until his death in 1964 at that time his brother-in-law ran it and today i'm not going to name names even though you can figure this out real easily the son of his brother-in-law now owns it, it. So, so it must be so the owner the owner today is the nephew of john yeah DeBella. so it must be they must be a private company so it would yeah. have been extremely extremely yeah. difficult so it's to it's get been it in the family pretty much ever since ever since they moved from chicago to fond du lac it's been consistent it's a, yeah interesting yeah yeah so i mean really that's about it um, when John DeBella died in September 1964, so about a year after all these interrogations, the police chief in Fond du Lac made a public statement. He said, John lived a quiet life here. He got on well and was well liked by everyone. <laughs> if he was mixed up in anything, it didn't happen around here. And even, and even though he lived most of his life in the United States, and primarily in Fond du Lac, uh, John DeBell is actually buried today in, in Sicily. They sent him back to Sicily. Oh. It's interesting because at this point, though, this is the end of Grande Cheese. This is the end of, I mean... <laughs> like, or do they get sorted into other things in the future? Like what? Because I would assume John DeBella, we're, we're really close to John DeBella dying, right? You said like a year away. Well, from it's like, for, well, it's for our purposes of the podcast, John DeBella will now be dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the... 
do they ever get swept into anything in the future that well see this is the weird thing after john DeBella is out of the picture the most obvious connections to crime are gone mm-hmm. like he was the one who really had all the sketchy connections but it's funny because El Caruso, who I'd mentioned as the other officer, grande officer who was sitting in with, with them at the meeting, the FBI had a file on him. John DeBello's brother-in-law, the FBI had a file on him. And the current owner, who again, whose name I will not mention <laughs> because he is alive, easily look it up if you want to, the FBI has a file oh, on yeah. him. They didn't just be like, oh, well, John DeBell is dead. We're Okay, we're, we're not interested anymore. anymore. No. They're still actively, can you say, like, if you look at the file of the current owner? I mean, is it I can't current? see the file of the current no, owner. owner. I know it exists this. because it appears in indexes of records, but I cannot see, see it. it. Okay, so we don't even know. They might have stopped any oh. investigation on him probably oh i'm you sure know, yeah 15 years 15 20 years ago or oh, something yeah yeah, yeah. no it, yeah that was i'm sure it was decades ago well, yeah absolutely but the but the fact that they even opened one it would almost seem like every time a, because for any listeners that don't know final lack is a, i guess from wisconsin standards it's not like a small small town but i, well, think I still consider for, it yeah, a yeah, small town i would consider it a very small town and i'm sure anytime anything that could even be remotely tied to organized crime happen- that happens in Fond du Lac, they're going to bring Grande Cheese into it. Yeah. Maybe not today, because now it's been a while, but but around this era, like if anything weird or suspicious happened, they would have just immediately, I'm sure they would put yeah. Grande Cheese <clears throat> into it as a primary investigation. Yeah, I think, I think those days, I mean, I think that's long gone. I don't think anybody in law enforcement gives a crap anymore. <laughs> the, co- the company's like bad reputation is, you know, unfortunately, because podcasts like this, the, so the, <laughs> it's, it's the, the Google results kind of skew <laughs> it, but uh, but generally the company has a very positive reputation. But yeah, the FBI was, had some like weird obsession Ooh. because like there were two brothers who had worked briefly for the company, went sort of their own cheese company. There's a file on a them. Man. Like I said, we we might return to it in the future just because there is a lot of information, but it's all like really weak stuff. I mean, a lot of these guys knew questionable people, little to no evidence that most of them are doing anything actually shady. And this just kind of brings me back to, if you remember, I can't remember the person's name, but there was, he was a gambler. Mm-hmm. And like the FBI just chased this man around for years and never found him doing anything illegal. Like they couldn't yeah. get him on anything. And this scenario really sounds a lot like that, where they just got a footprint that, well, there could be something here. And they just attacked it. Yeah. Trying to find anything they could. Yes. To to pin them on them. And absolutely. I And I would. I would wager that the reason for that is because of the Joe Bonanno. Uh, Joe Bonanno, Bonanno yeah. when, when he had money in the company, he owned 10% of the company. And I would suspect that that is the number one reason, reason. Because from the day that the FBI started really looking into mob guys, which is like 1957, 58, thereabout, Joe Bonanno was like not just like, one of the big guys in New York, 
he was like considered the big guy in the country. Like the FBI really wanted him. And he lived until, I want to say, 1993. You know, decades of them chasing him. So my suspicion is that the reason that Grande had so much heat on them is almost entirely because of Bonanno's connection. Mm -hmm. Um, Less so the Milwaukee connection, which does exist. I mean, even like when, when John DiBella became an American citizen, the witnesses he had on his naturalization papers were two Milwaukee mob members. So like there's no denying that he knew these guys. But I think it's the Bonanno connection that really made the FBI mad. I'm just curious if you have an opinion on this. Is what, when you see stuff like this, where they're really, really attacking something and finding nothing, but they just don't stop. Yeah. Do you do you equate that to, is that good investigative work? Or... Is some of the like some of the stuff you see like oh, come on guys this is a little over the top. It's you know, definitely the second. You you in your opinion and do you th- but how much of that do you think is because you have access to a lot more information now mm-hmm. than they had back then? They were kind of chasing ghost theories yeah. and stuff. I mean, but you would think anything that they would suspect would be in those reports, right? Like if they had a reason for chasing after these people. Shouldn't it be in that report? Yeah, it's it's so weird because, like, as... And I know this has been mentioned, but I should always, like, re-mention things because people aren't going to yeah. listen to everything. When the FBI opens a file, at least in the past, this has probably changed, but the policy used to be you opened a file and it stayed open for six months, and then it would either continue on or at six months you would close it. And... It surprises me how many didn't close at the six-month mark. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of these guys where there's clearly not a crime being committed. They keep it open because they know questionable people. Oh, sooner or later, they're going to do something and we'll catch them. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe that was just the thinking at the time. But it doesn't seem like a great use of resources to me. Yeah, I mean, like this poor guy that was gambling. I mean, I, I think we when we talked about them, they chased him around for years mm-hmm. and never found anything even remotely close that they could peg him on. And it's like, yeah, what a waste of resources. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and the mob guys would argue, have argued. That, you know, they were disproportionately targeted. And as much as I hate to defend the mob guys, it, to some degree, they're absolutely right. No, and it does seem that way, yeah. Because, yeah, if you if you had some kind of loose affiliation with them, particularly if you were part of the Italian community, you were more likely to be looked into. Mm-hmm. And then that then disproportionately changes the way the FBI sees things. Because now, when the bulk of their looking into, this all falls under their anti-racketeering investigations, which is like a catch-all generic term. You know, when the bulk of that 
is all people with Italian names, well, it's only going to re-perpetuate like, oh, well, this yeah. is clearly people we should be looking at. Well, no, you're looking at it because they're <laughs> the people you were looking at. Right. And and then they it gets to the point where they might just start looking into people because they're Italian and not, yeah. not even because they're associated with the mafia in any way, right. basically. It's very strange. It's very strange. I think it made sense at the time to some degree, but it was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it, it's just at a certain point, like you said, like like you said with the six month thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you got a suspicion that somebody's doing something and they go hard at them for six months, yeah, and that I I can understand that that's reasonable to me. But then after six months, if you have found absolutely nothing, move on. Right. You know, like, or move on until something comes up again that puts that person in a in a limelight right. that makes you think they might have done something. Right, right, yeah. Like, they don't throw out the file. It just goes into inactive. So they can always open it back right, up. Right, right. And uh, then that seems the way it should be done. So, like, the system they had was good, but why they weren't doing that seems weird. Yeah, but. I don't. I don't know. It is. It is weird. But yeah, it would just. I think some of this is top down. I think this is a lot of this is J. Edgar Hoover Hoover type stuff. I mean, like during the time period that they were really serious into communism. If you were somebody who showed up at a protest, you might get a file opened on you. If you were a professor who was known to have written a questionable book, you might get a file open on you. If you showed like the slightest hint that you might not hate communism, (laughs) you could you could have been targeted in the air. Today that wouldn't happen. Today you could go out on the street and say communism's awesome, (laughs) and the FBI wouldn't give a crap. But that's but, because but back but when that, back when that was the hysteria, they were right. all over it. That's exactly right, too. Is is it's not because it's not because we have more rights or anything. It's just <laughs> yeah. because they don't care about communism right now. They're yeah. not worried about communism spreading in the United States. So. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of that is a lot of that is a J. Edgar Hoover thing. Mm-hmm. When he single hand he ran the FBI for forget exactly somewhere between 40 and 50 years i mean just a ridiculous amount of time for one guy to run it so it really became like the things that he wanted to attack got attacked Attacked. and now you know we have a new fbi director every five years so it it doesn't have that stamp of being one person's organization so now did they change a law so you could only be fbi director for so long I don't or think is so. it just the matter of just nobody hangs around that long anymore yeah, i don't i don't think there's any reason somebody couldn't still Dilly. be it's just i think probably just more politics today yeah. It's interesting. You get you get a new president, and yeah, they want to pres- switch out the old guy. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes a lot of Hoover sense. Hoover was like above politics. He was, <laughs> I mean, he was conservative, but he people didn't think of him as a political figure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So. All right, so you got anything else for this one? No, I mean yeah. we, we went way off on that, but it was good. It was a good yeah. conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, but yeah, this is. I'm gonna say that. It's entirely possible this is the last we'll hear of Ground AG. It's maybe we'll revisit it in a couple of years or something. Just kind of wanted to end it on that, get it out there, and for one last time say, they're, you know, not that there weren't connections, 
They're it was way blown out of proportion. They're not a bad company. You should all go after listening to this yes. podcast. You should feel bad about about us helping spread misinformation about well, we didn't, we didn't spread misinformation, but but you know. Give them bad press. So yeah. I, stand, everybody... I stand by every single thing I said. It's just that they probably don't want their name <laughs> to show mafia yeah, next to when you Google it. Yeah. Everybody go out and buy a thing of grande cheese to make it a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Bump up their stock prices for them. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, we'll wrap this episode up. We do have a Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash Milwaukee Mafia or jump over to the MilwaukeeMafia.com website and find it there. Mm-hmm. As well as join the mailing list at MilwaukeeMafia.com. You can't miss it. It's everywhere. And Gavin, where can people reach out to you? Really, at this point, just email MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. That's one word, Milwaukee Mafia, no underscore, dash, anything like that. I'm I'm pretty good about responding. I, I'll get back to you in a day or two or a week. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, so if you got a question or comment, you know, just send it there and, uh, and it goes right to me. I don't have a, a secretary or anything. You'll get the direct response. All right, with that, we'll wrap this episode up. We'll see everybody next week for the Patreon, if you're a Patreon member, and in two weeks with another Mafia episode. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. Join us next time for another look back at Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history.